have your Bibles with you this evening, would you open them, please, to the book of Exodus, chapter 15. We're going to begin reading in just a moment with verse 22. On Sunday night, we're in a sermon series entitled, Traveling with Moses, following the footsteps of Moses from Egypt to the Promised Land. Tonight's message, Life's Bitter Waters. Exodus 15, beginning with verse 22. And Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness, but they found no water. When they came to Merah, they could not drink of the waters of Merah, for the waters were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Merah. And the people murmured against Moses. What shall we drink, they said, among other things. And Moses prayed to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a tree. Now I want you to pay attention to that. The Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statue and an ordinance, and there he tested them. He said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon you which I have brought upon the Egyptians. For I am the Lord that healeth. Verse 27, they came to Elam, which were twelve walls of water and seventy palm trees. And they encamped there by the waters. Like most stories in the Bible, our story tonight is pretty uh, pretty plain and simple. Pretty easy to understand. Let's think about it. The Israelites are on their way to the promised land. God has delivered them from Egypt through a series of miraculous plagues. God has delivered them from Pharaoh through an equally miraculous parting of the Red Sea. After a time of praise and worship music, thanking God for those deliverances, the Israelites continue their journey. The third day of this continuation of their journey, they find themselves with no water. They have not found any water day one, day two, day three, and now they're beginning to get thirsty. The livestock's beginning to get thirsty. They're in a panic mode, and they begin to do what the Israelites seem to do best under the leadership of Moses. They begin to complain and criticize and gripe and grumble. The Bible calls that murmuring. And most of it's directed against Moses. He's a hero one moment and a zero the next. They're applauding him one moment, they're booing him the next. They're praising him one moment, and they're criticizing him the next. But leaders expect that, I suppose. 
But nevertheless, they're murmuring against Moses. They're saying, we are thirsty. We need water. Where is it, Moses? Why did you bring us to Marah? The water's here is too bitter to drink. Is this what we get for following you, Moses? Parched tongues and death from dehydration? Moses, why don't we turn back to Egypt? There's plenty of water there. Why don't you admit to Pharaoh that we made a mistake? Ask him to give us a break and bring us back. We would rather be slaves to Pharaoh than corpses in the desert. Wow, that's pretty stiff, isn't it? But that's what they wanted. They wanted to really turn back and go back to Egypt. And this is not the first time they wanted, and it won't be the last time. But Moses handles his critics the same way we should handle ours. He punches them in the mouth. No, I didn't read that in the story, did I? Just checking to see if you're paying any attention. He went to his knees and he prayed. Because he realized this wasn't a Moses problem. This was a God problem. And so he prays to God. And God, through his prayer, directs him to take a tree and put it into the bitter waters. And using that tree, God changes the bitter waters to sweet waters. The Israelites are then able to drink, and they drink their fill. Their livestock are able to drink, and they drink their fill. Now satisfied, the journey is going to continue. The murmuring has now stopped for the time being. That's a pretty easy story, isn't it? Not hard to understand, plain and simple. But you know, the Bible says that these stories that are given to us, particularly in the Old Testament, are not just stories about what happened then. They're stories about what are happening now. They're not just stories about Moses and the people of Israel's journey but there's stories about you and I and our journey together. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, the Bible explicitly says these things are given to us as examples. These are lessons for us to learn. Because what was going on then is what's going on now. So what can we learn from the story now that we've just read and I just told you? Well, I think there's three quick things we can learn tonight. Number one, I think this teaches us that life can bring us to some bitter places. Are you listening to me? The Christian life can often lead us or bring us to some bitter places. Look at verse 22 and 23. Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. They went out into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in that wilderness, and they found no water. Then they came to Merah. They found water in Merah, but they could not drink the waters of Merah, for they were bitter, they were nasty, they were unfit for human consumption. Now Moses is leading the Israelites. But who's leading Moses? Help me out. The Lord is. Moses isn't just meandering around there saying, I think we'll go here, I think we'll go there. 
He's following the road map that God gave him. And God, under the leadership of Moses, is bringing the Israelites to Merah. He's bringing them there. I believe we need to understand something. The Christian life is not always an easy life. Are you listening to your pastor? The Christian life is not always an easy life. It can be a life of temptations. It can be a life of trials and troubles and tears. And it can be a life where there's a great deal of difficulty. Jesus said, in this world, you shall have tribulation. He's not speaking to those outside the church. He's speaking to those that make up the church. He's speaking to the saints, not to the sinners. He says to you and I, the blood washed, the born again, those who are clothed in the robe of righteousness. He says, you can expect trouble in this troubled world. But you're saying to yourself, but pastor, I have faith. And my faith is going to spare me from any poverty, any pain, and any problems. The TV preacher told me so. <laughs> well, that's TV theology. It's a dime a dozen. It's cheap and it's worthless. You need to know Bible truth. And you can be a man or woman of great faith. And you can be led to a place in your life where it's going to be extremely difficult and dangerous. Headaches and heartaches, trials and troubles. God can lead you to those kind of places. He can lead me to those kind of places. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32 and following, the great Hall of Fame chapter in the Bible. There's a baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York. There's a football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. Well, God has a Hall of Fame in heaven. And it might surprise us when we get there who's in that Hall of Fame. You might recognize some of the names, but I would suggest to you many of the names are people just like you and I average ordinary people who love Jesus and obey Jesus and walk with him by faith. And God remembered that. Some of us will be in God's hall of fame one day. But nevertheless, listen to Hebrews 11.32 as the writer of Hebrews talks about those who have great faith. What more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell you of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Japheth, and also of David and Samuel and all the other prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword out of weakness, were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned the flight of the armies of the alien. Through their faith, women received their dead, raised to life. But, Listen to this. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others had trials of mockings and scourgings. Others were in chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in half. 
They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, and they were destitute, afflicted, and tormented. Of this world they were not worthy. They wandered in the deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all of them, having obtained a good testimony through faith. You see, you can be a giant of faith. And God can lead you to places and to situations and circumstances that's going to be bitter. Faith does not keep us out of trouble. Faith often leads us into trouble. Why is that? Because we are a twice-born people in a once-born world. Our world does not like people that are different than them. They persecute people who don't follow the world's philosophy and the world's methodology. And we don't. If you're a born-again Christian, you walk to the beat of a different drum. This world is not your home. Your home is in heaven. And we're just working our way to get there. And this world despises us and hates us because we're different than them. And that is the source of much of our troubles. The bitterness of life. I read about something that was done some years ago in an academic class. The students gathered for the first day under this teacher. And they all looked like students, or as you would expect students to look like, except one person that was in the class looked different. He had a bag on his head with eyes cut out, a nose cut out, and a mouth cut out. Other than that, he, looked, he was just like they were. Well, everybody looked at him. But they didn't say nothing. Then they began to look at him and say something. Then they began to look at him and say something and began to, to pick on him. And then they began to persecute him. Why? He never bothered anybody. He had a bag on his head. That was the only difference. What I'm trying to get you to see, our world looks at us as people with a bag on our head. And they don't like us because we don't look like them. We don't talk like them. We don't act like them. And therefore, they make life sometimes for us very bitter. Because we just don't believe like they believe and behave like they behave. What do we believe? We believe there is one God, and He's the God of the Bible. We believe that he's triune. We believe that he's true. We believe that he's living. We believe that he's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's holy. He's eternal. He's the Lord God of the patriarchs and the prophets. He's the Lord God of the early church fathers and the apostles. He's the God of the old covenant. He's the God of the new covenant. He's the God of the scriptures. And because we believe that's the only God and all other gods are nothing more than the foolishness of some person's mind or the wickedness of some person's hands. Our world hates us. Our world doesn't like us 
Because we not only believe there's one God, and that God is the God of the Bible, but because we believe there's only one salvation, and that salvation is through the Son of that living God. His name is Jesus Christ. There's only one name given in heaven. There's only one name given in earth. There's only one name given anywhere by which a man can be saved, and it's the name of Jesus. Our world likes multiple choice. Our world likes options. And when we say to our world, there's only one way, there's only one truth, there's only one life. If you're going to go to heaven and see the Father, you'll go through Christ or you won't go at all. They don't like it. They don't like it because we believe not only in one God but we, and only one salvation, but they don't like it because we believe in the sanctity of life. That the born and the unborn should be treated equally. They should have the same protections and the same rights as all. Our world likes to categorize people and give certain genders superiority over the other. Give different colors superiority over the other. Give different classes superiority over the other. Give certain intellectual or athletic prowess one over the other. But we believe in the sanctity of life. All life is created by God. All life is given by God. All life is maintained by God. God has a plan and purpose for all life. We believe that. They don't. And they don't like us for that. They don't like us for the sanctity of marriage. We believe one man, one woman for life. It's what we believe. They don't. One man, one woman, as long as it works out for you, and if, when it ceases to work out for you, throw in the towel and leave. Our world believes that it can be two men, it can be two women, it can be one man with multiple women, one woman with multiple men. You want to marry a cat? Marry a cat. It doesn't matter to them. By the way, did you see that in the paper? A lady wants to be engaged to her dog. <laughs> Looking for a minister to perform the service. And you know the sad thing? She'll find somebody. Fido, do you take her? I don't know why I even went there. But we believe in the sanctity of life. We believe in the sanctity of marriage. We believe in the sanctity of justice. That all men should get a fair trial. It doesn't matter who you are. Whether you're an up and in or a down and out, or all men should be treated as innocent until they're proven guilty in a court of law. But when they're found guilty, the punishment ought to be appropriate for the crime. And grace and mercy should be applied when it is appropriate, when it can be. What I'm trying to get you to see is sometimes life for a Christian can be bitter. We can be at Marah because we're different. We don't believe like this world, and I hope and pray we don't behave like this world. Now let's move on to a second teaching point. Verse 24. 
bitter places bring out the true nature of people. Look at verse 24. They're now at Marah, a bitter place with bitter water. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, among other things, what shall we drink? Anytime the Israelites get in a bind, a crisis, what do they have a tendency to do? They murmur. I know you don't do that. But they do. And they do it continually in this journey as they go with Moses. In fact, their middle name probably should have been murmured. Because that's about what they do all the time. Now, you may not think murmuring is a big deal, but you listen to your pastor. Yeah, I believe it's one of the major sins in the Bible. What is murmuring? Biblically speaking, it's words of unbelief or rebellion against the servant of God or God himself. It's words of unbelief. God, we don't believe you. You're a liar, God. It's words of rebellion. God, we know you're in control. We're going to overthrow you. We know that your leader has been appointed by you, but we're going to get rid of him. Murmuring. Words of unbelief. Words of rebellion against God's man, but really against God himself. They did it, and sometimes we're guilty of doing it, murmuring. May I say, when crisis comes into our life, when we find ourselves at Merah in a place of bitterness, you are going to find out what your true character is. You're going to find out if you have a genuine faith. You're going to find out if you have a sincere faith. Someone once said, and I believe it to be true, a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. At Merah, God tested once again the faith of the Israelites. And they failed the test once again. Pastor, were the Israelites saved? I don't know. When we get to heaven, I guess we can find out. But I know this. If they were Christians, whatever Christians were according in that day, they were very shallow and they were very carnal because they're constantly failing the test of how to handle crisis and difficulty in the life of a Christian. You know how you measure your faith? You want to test your faith tonight? You don't test it in church. You don't test it in singing hymns with Keith. You don't test it in listening to my sermons and taking notes. You don't test it in our prayer time. You don't test it in your giving. You don't test it in your service. You don't test it in the fellowship that goes on. You test your faith. 
when nobody else is looking. When it's just you. Will you look at that pornography? Will you take that alcoholic drink? Will you smoke that weed? Will you cheat on your spouse? When it's just you and nobody's looking. Of course, you know somebody's always looking, don't you? You can look frontward, you look backward, you can look rightward, you can look leftward. But listen, you better look upward. You better worry about what God sees and not somebody else. But faith can often be tested when we're alone and nobody's looking. Faith can be tested when we're in pain. When we have pain in our lives and our lives are not what we want them to be because of that pain, will we continue with God or will we turn away from God? Will we continue with the church or will we turn away from the church? How do you do when nobody's looking? That's a measure of your faith. How do you do when you're in pain and you're facing the bitterness of life? How do you do when you disagree with somebody? Do you try to make peace with that person? Do you try to compromise with that person when it's things that can be compromised with? Or do you berate the person and tear the person down and attack them? How do you, how do you treat a, a difference with somebody? How do you handle being slighted? When it should be you that gets the honor and the reward, not the other person that's on the platform. Or at least that's what you think. Is that you? It may not be you on the outside, but it might be you on the inside. It also might be you when you say, I ain't coming back. They'll never see me again. Well, who did you do it for? For up here or up there? You see, faith can be tested, but we don't like sometimes the way it's tested. What do you do when nobody's looking? What do you do when your life is full of pain? What do you do when you disagree with someone? What do you do when you're slighted and you're not honored and rewarded like you think you should be? What do you do when you're blessed? Let's, let's flip it a little bit. You know, I have found that many people, when God blesses them, they take the blessings of God and turn away from God. God gives you a big house and a big yard, so you spend Sunday cleaning that big house and fixing up that big yard. Instead of worshiping the God that gave it to you, you turn your back on Him. God gives you a nice boat. And what do you do to say thank you to him? You take the boat out every Sunday and do fishing. During church time, because you're going to worship the Lord on the water anyway, right? Some of y'all looking mighty pale out there. <laughs> kind of a, a, a sickish green, you might say. I didn't call no names. I'm not looking at you. <laughs> Some of us, God is blessed financially. We've got more money than we'll use in two lifetimes. 
but we don't give God a tithe anymore because then we'd have to give him too much. Well, maybe God ought to reduce what you got down a little bit. You see, sometimes it's not just in the places of bitterness that our faith shows through. It's in the places of blessing. Lastly, one other point. Verse 25 through 27. Here we see how a bitter place and bitter people can be turned sweet at the foot of a tree. Verse 25 through 27 as we close. And Moses cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the bitter waters, the waters were made sweet. Then he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he tested them. He said, if you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord your God, if you will do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will not allow any of the diseases which you faced in Egypt come upon you, for I am the Lord that can heal all. What's the cure when you find yourself in Mara and you're bitter? What's the cure when your life is consumed with the bitter waters of Mara? What can keep you from becoming bitter? How about a tree? A tree. God instructed Moses to take a tree, put that tree in the waters, and through that tree, the bitter waters would be made sweet. I wonder what tree that might be speaking of later. Because it's not just speaking about then, is it? It's speaking about now. It's not just speaking about the past. It's speaking about the future. It's not just speaking about a tree then. Maybe it's speaking about a tree to come. Do you think it's just coincidental? Do you think it's just accidental that the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 spoke of our Lord Jesus Christ hanging on a tree Pain for the sins of you and I. And he called that cross a what? A tree. A tree. Bear in mind it wasn't the tree. It wasn't the cross. But it was the one who hung on the tree and hung on the cross. And it would be through him that bitter waters could be made sweet. Bitter places could be made sweet. Bitter people could be made sweet. Wow. In John chapter 7, verse 37 and 39, listen to Jesus. If anyone thirst, 
Let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will now flow the rivers of living water. And then in verse 39, we get a commentary of what he's alluding to. He says, this is he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit when he would come. The Lord Jesus on a tree at Calvary made us sweet. We were a bunch of sour, bitter people. Yes, you, and yes, me. But on that cross suspended between heaven and earth, the Lord Jesus Christ shed his blood and died that sour, bitter people like you and me could be made sweet and holy like himself. But that wasn't enough. The God who gave his son then would give us his spirit. The Lord Jesus would make us sweet. The spirit of God would keep us sweet. The Lord Jesus would give us the living waters. The spirit of God would make sure those living waters are constantly flowing. That our sweetness not only would be within, our sweetness would start flowing without. What's the cure for a rebellious, hateful, critical, bitter spirit? Jesus Christ. The tree in which he hung and died for our sins and the spirit of the living God that indwells us the moment we give him our life. What good lessons for us. What good lessons for us. Life can be bitter. You understand that? It can be bitter at times. And sometimes it can be bitter for a long time. But that's okay if you're in a place of bitterness right now. If you have bitter waters around you right now, remember, it's God who brought you there. And maybe God wants to deal with your bitterness. You don't, but he does. And maybe in this place of bitterness, you're going to find out how much faith you got. True faith isn't measured on the streets that are paved with gold. True faith is measured on the gravel roads of life. How would you do if you were at Merah? Would your faith shine through or would your faith disappear? And do you know that the answer for bitterness is Jesus Christ and the Spirit of the living God. Has your waters been made sweet? Is the waters that flow out of your life and my life sweet? If not, why not? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.